Welcome to Paradise in the Pines, a podcast about the people, places, and stories that make this the home of American golf. Brought to you by the Pinehurst, Southern Pines, Aberdeen Area Convention and Visitors Bureau. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Paradise in the Pines. I'm Phil Wurz, President and CEO of the Pinehurst, Southern Pines, Aberdeen Area Convention and Visitors Bureau. And we're joined today by Bill Fields. A lot of people in the Sand Hills, the Pinehurst area know Bill Fields, prolific golf writer, journalist, researcher. Uh, you've done it all, Bill. And uh, you here in town this week uh, for uh, engagement and a speaking engagement at the Weymouth Center. Talk about that. Welcome back to the Pine, uh, Pinehurst area, too. Thank you, Phil. Always a pleasure to come back to my hometown. Uh, yes, uh, fortunate to be spending the week at the Weymouth Center as a writer in residence, trying to work on a a memoir I've hoped to get done, and uh, it's it's a it's been a, a good week, and uh, got a couple more days to go. But uh, Jim Moriarty and I had a nice chat with uh, a pretty packed house Wednesday night, nice. so it was fun. Well, I was attending the North Carolina Tourism Industry Association Leadership Conference. I would have loved to have attended that. How did you get involved with Weymouth Center? Get the invite? How do you get to become a writer in residence? Uh, well, you have to have a connection with North Carolina uh, in some way, either uh, living here or having been up here or, or some connection that's yeah. the that's the tie and uh uh andy andy stewart rose is the creative director at pine straw uh and the other magazines in the the pilot stable she's a longtime friend and i've been contributing contributing there for about eight years so yeah. uh, a lot of connections still which is is nice so you talk about your memoir talk about uh what that's about and when you're hoping to uh to get it published well i don't have a publisher yet but uh, i hope that's going to happen uh think it'll happen one way or the other but it'll be uh, about growing up here in large measure but also my life thereafter moving to new york city living there for a few years and and covering uh, big time golf for for over 40 years now so uh it's it's been a fun ride and i hope to to capture that uh in the book that's a bit of a, a culture shock from uh, being from piners and living what's it like living in new york city suburban new york city but still in the in the metro area yeah i lived in new york city for several years huh. in, in brooklyn uh, when i worked uh, for golf illustrated which was based uh on uh, the corner of 34th street and park avenue just down the down the block from uh, the empire state building mm. so it was pretty cool for a small town uh, southern boy to walk uh, past the empire state building on his way from the subway to the office every day Awesome. Uh, talk about small town Southern boy. You grew up in Pinehurst uh, and then went to UNC Chapel Hill. What, did you always want to be a journalist? You went there and, uh, and became one. Uh, yeah, actually, I was born in the hospital in Pinehurst, which was then uh, called Moore Memorial Hospital. And I grew up in Southern Pines, just a few blocks from the Weymouth Center. Uh, in fact, the house was huh. still in our family up until only uh, about six years ago when we sold it. But uh, yeah, very, very close connections geographically and yeah, I always had an interest in newspapers and journalism and current events and sports. And, uh, you know, we, we avidly read the pilot after buying it for a dime from a street vendor every week on Wednesday afternoon. And <laughs> we got the Greensboro Daily News delivered in our driveway every morning. So, yeah, our family was, was avid newspaper readers. And uh, so you studied journalism at UNC Chapel Hill, sports editor of the Daily Tar Heel, uh, you know, a lot of prolific writers have gone through there, Kirk Kirkpatrick, uh, you know, quite a few uh, that you can name, Charles Kuralt. Um Talk about what it was like. Did, did you understand the history and the legacy of the Daily Tar Heel? And what was it like to be the editor of that paper back then? We're about the same age. Uh, you know, I'd always wanted to go to Carolina. I only applied to two colleges, East Carolina and uh, UNC. And 
I actually got the acceptance uh, off the waiting list to go to Carolina on my 18th birthday in late May of 1977. So that was a heck of a birthday present because I really did always want to go there. And I, I didn't know, you know, a, a ton about the legacy of the, you know, the, the heritage of the DTH, but, you know, it was great. I got a lot of great experience, uh, had a, made a lot of great friends. And there were a lot of super talented, motivated people there at that time, just as they are now. And uh, I know a couple of my Daily Tar Heel mates, uh, they went on in, in subsequent years to become editor of the News and Observer, John Drescher and Melanie hmm. Sill. Uh, Melanie Sill was involved in a Pulitzer Prize project for the NNO uh, years ago. So these people had talent even back in college. So it was, it was, it was a real pleasure to, to spend so much time with them. You graduated in 81. I graduated in 84 from James Madison. I remember, and you probably covered this, it was 1982 NCAA tournament, James Madison against UNC in Charlotte. I'm going to say it was a home job call, but, but it was a great game. It was If you look at all the scores from when they won the national championship on Michael Jordan's shot against Georgetown, the closest game they played was against JMU. Yeah, I, I graduated the previous uh, summer, so I was, living, I was living here in 1982 and actually went up to uh, – Chapel Hill to watch the game on television in, mm. in, a, in a bar in Chapel Hill. And it was a fantastic uh, scene after the victory, as you might imagine, <laughs> right. uh, after, after Michael Jordan hit that shot. Uh, yeah, and especially given the previous year we had uh, lost Indiana in the final right. day that President Reagan was uh, right. the attempted assassination. So it was a, that was a strange day. But, uh, uh, yeah, so many good memories of, of Chapel Hill in those days. I got to ask you, you mentioned the game against Indiana, and of course Coach Knight, uh, of course Coach Knight uh, recently passed away. I, I knew you probably didn't have much connection with him, uh, but just talk about him being as a sports journalist. What did Everybody's got a story about Bobby Knight, uh, whether it's good or bad. Uh, talk about what you remember of him and, and what you think his legacy should be. Well, complicated legacy, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just like uh, with some people in the golf world that have passed away, and I've written you know, extensive uh, – uh, obituaries about, but yeah, Knight. I, I know John Feinstein a little bit. Of course, the book that he he did in the mid '80s, uh, "Season on the Brink," that mm-hmm. was uh, huge for John's career. It was a fantastic book, and you know, it, it caught Knight at the good and the bad. And then that he really was a man of a man of extremes. He could be extremely kind to his players, uh, but you know, he had a volatile side. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't think you know you certainly can't ignore that when you when you put him uh, put him in the context of history. You graduated from UNC, as you said, in '81. So you were, the, I mean, you were there at a you know awesome time for Dean Smith. Tar Heels were awesome. I mean, kind of Phil Ford era coming into Michael Jordan. Uh, what was it like to to be on campus there when the Tar Heels were were playing so well? Yeah, well, well they play well all the time. But <laughs> well, yeah, my my last, I got out of Chapel Hill in uh, early August of of '81. That's when that's the month Michael Jordan uh, got there. Well, a lot of more people remembered his arrival than my departure. Let's put it that way. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was yeah. My first year, Phil Ford was still on the team, and and then uh, you know Michael Corrin, uh, Jimmy Black came came along. Yeah. Jimmy Black, James Worthy, you know, uh, such a great player. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I in researching my my memoir, I, my father got very sick with cancer in seventy eight, seventy nine, and mm. after he had an operation, he couldn't he couldn't talk. So in the hospital, he was writing. He had to write notes on a on a paper pad to communicate for a while. He subsequently got his voice back, but uh, I found those notes in our house when we were cleaning it out. And uh, you mm. know, and one of the you know, it's a lot of just little average stuff. But then at one point, there, Carolina had played a game, 
and uh, he says something like, "Jerry Black might be as good as Phil Ford." I, I was, huh. I was, you know, it was kind of cool to see that where yeah. we've been talking about college basketball. Very cool. Well, let's transition to golf. Uh, you've been writing about golf since 1984. Two stints with Golf World Magazine, one of them spanning 22 years. Distinguished career, four first-place awards, Golf Writers Association America Award. Uh, obviously a prolific golf writer. I remember the Golf Writers Association. They used to have the, the golf junket down in Myrtle Beach before they went to Augusta. I kind of missed that. Were you part of that? Uh, that I, whole? I played a couple years uh, for many. I didn't. I wasn't a regular, i got to say, because... Uh, 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 it just, it just with with the work schedule I had, it just didn't, it just didn't work out for me to, to go there in advance because I was, I was putting out Golf World uh, the week before as part of the production team there. Yeah. And as you said, I, I was a jack of, jack of many trades, and uh, you know, I was, I was when I wasn't writing, I was editing, I was picture editing. I, I had been a the first major, first forty majors I attended, I was, I was there as a photographer. So mm. I, I have done a lot of different things. Uh, over the years talking about what you started in golf in 84 so you know I, I remember jack winning the masters in 86 i think a lot of people remember that what was it like to cover at least at, in that era when you had guys like jack and, and you know all the the legends that we know today well i think you know michael bamberger the very fine uh, writer mm -hmm. on golf that uh you know contemporary of mine we've, we've chatted about this we, we were very lucky in the sense that when we got into the business in those 80s as you say you know nicholas was still playing he won the masters of course at 46 uh, I was there that day as a photographer. I'll never forget that day. The, the roars, it was, it was, you know, it was incredible. Jack Roar. Incredible. Uh, of course, subsequent roars for Tiger victories have been equally mm -hmm. loud, but that was a, a special afternoon. But, uh, yeah, we, we were still, uh, when we got on the scene, guys like uh, Sarazen and Sneed were still sharp and, and still around some. So wow. we, got to, we got to do stories uh, with them where we got to hear them talk about how it had been many, many years ago. So, to me, I always treasured being able to write a, a long story uh, about Gene Sarazen or Sam Sneed. So, and then, and then on from there, we've, we've gotten to see the new generation, not mm -hmm. only Tiger, but after that with Jordan Spieth. So, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a pleasure for sure. The, and the game has obviously changed quite a bit, technology-wise, money-wise especially. Was it – I'm not asking to, to knock the, the current golfers. That I think a lot of – they take a bad rap sometimes that, you know, they're, they're spoiled. They make too much money. The Ryder Cup, they're worried more about hats and what hat they're going to wear versus, you know, trying to win a Ryder Cup. Um, what was it like in old school? The old school golfers that – were the traditionalists like Sarazen and Nicholas and Sneed, all those guys. What was it like to work with them as a journalist, as a photographer, uh, versus today? Well, they, these those gentlemen were were well past their their competitive primes when when we when I got to know them some. But uh, you know, and they, their perspective was, hey, when we were playing, we had to win to make any kind of a check that was any size, you know, and things, and even into the seventies. Even into the '80s, the, tour, the purses on the PGA Tour were not that large. Mm. Uh, I mean, things have clearly exploded since Tiger Woods arrived on the scene, and 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 the huge television contracts uh, occurred. So it's just everything is bigger now. These these players, and it's and it's not only a result of the it's a result of the money, but it's also a result of the culture and and having uh, you know so many coaches and nutritionists and uh, physios traveling with them and chefs and right. all that that just never. You know, that never happened even into the into the 80s you know it, it uh, you know these these players even the great players they lived they lived I would say simpler lives uh, you've won in 
an array of honors. Um, we went over a couple of them on this podcast. You were the 2020 recipient of the PGA of America Lifetime Achievement Award. Congratulations for that. Uh, you were honored at the the awards dinner in Augusta, Georgia, on the eve of the Masters. And I, I got to ask you, when I did the research and saw that, I was like, were you were you kind of did you get to pick the menu like the champions menu? Did you get to do that, or they just said this is what you're eating tonight? Uh, uh, no, we, we don't. We didn't get to pick the menu, but I have to give uh, props to the PGA of America. I, I was actually the 2020 recipient, but then COVID hit, right. pandemic, and we didn't have the dinner for two years. So, you know, instead of the PGA didn't name another winner, they let me go. You were the reigning it. champion. I was, the, I was sort of the reigning champion, you know, and I got to, I got to accept the award and, and give a speech, uh, you know, in 2022. And uh, after the, the dinner had not been held for two years. So that was very nice of them to do that. And I'm very grateful that I got to experience that with, with some of my family there. And, uh, you know, the dinner that I'd been to many, many years and seen other people receive that award. And it was, a, it was really, a, a, you know, and I, I gave a speech that I think was, was pretty good and had a little humor. And most importantly, it was short. It was only about 10 minutes. And uh, there have been some years where some of the recipients had uh, droned on a little <laughs> right. bit. So I was determined. Uh, but, of course, I had two years to craft the speech. So I was going to say you had two years I, to take There were no it. excuses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at least you got to enjoy that for two years. Dustin Johnson was a champion for six months. Right. So, you know, right. at least you got to enjoy it for that amount of time. Um, I've probably been to the Masters, I think, eight or nine times now. I remember my sister... I took her to her first master's and she, at that time was, she was battling cancer and she told me, you know, I'll die before I ever get a ticket through the lottery. And my, a good friend of mine who I knew in Atlanta, um, he was getting ready to go to his 50th straight master's. I told him this, the story about my sister and he said, I have a couple of tickets. You want to use them for Friday? Um, I said, how much? He said $150. And I told my sister, you're gonna have to cancel that doctor's appointment on Friday because you're going to the Masters. She started crying. I started crying. I called David Whitfield, my friend in Atlanta. He played golf at Carolina, too, oh, by the way. Sure. And, I, uh, have a, I, have a, I work with a, with a man, Ward Clayton, who's very good friends oh, with wow. David. Oh, wow. But, I mean, that's just... And I told uh, WRDW, the TV station in Augusta, and a piece, the newspaper did a piece on him on going to his 50th straight Masters. And, and I said, this may be overreaching, I don't know, but just the way Dave, just knowing David the way I know him, I said... He is a modern day Bobby Jones. I mean, he is the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And just an example of just giving two of his tickets so I can take my sister to the Masters. Wow. But my point is, for those that have not been to the Masters, when you go there, I remember the first time I was there, I saw one of the ambassadors who used to wear the hard hats. And he was from Mississippi. He took vacation every year. And I said, this place is magnificent. It's like God laid out this beautiful green carpet. And he made a bet with me. He said, I'll bet you $100 if you find a weed anywhere on this property. And I mean, by the fence line, anywhere, bring it to me. I'll give you 100 bucks. And I, never, I looked all day. I never found one. So, But yeah. to give a sense of what it's like to step on the grounds and, and kind of paint that picture as a journalist. Well, again, fortunate. I've, I've, I've been to the Masters uh, as a photographer or writer every year except once since 1985. So that's a, mm. that's a pretty long run. And uh, yeah, it's it's an extremely well manicured place, uh, and I think what what helps it too is you know, in, obviously in the South the winters are mild, but for much of the country, you know, in April it's still it's still we're just coming out of cold season, yeah. and and uh, the, it really is a sort of a, a rite of spring in a, in a broad sense, and I think that that has a lot to do with when people turn on the TV in Chicago or or Rochester and they see the the beautiful colors and the flowers and uh, you know it just it's it's special and it and it uh it has an appeal uh, it has a unique appeal 
Talk about how, how the Masters has progressed. I mean, it, it was a point where they had no women members, and now they do. Anna Kostorstam, the, the most recent example. Um, and then with with the the drive, trip, and putt, mm-hmm. uh, the women's amateur. Talk about that progression, and and because it's such a special place, and obviously a private club, and, and the people that run that show um, to have that kind of vision to incorporate women and kids. Yeah, they've 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 evolved with the time some. Uh, certainly, uh, years ago, I've heard Fred Ridley speak uh, within the last few years, saying, "Hey, these things have worked out well." It's you know, you look back, and say, "Why, why, why didn't we do it earlier?" Well, you know, things have a way of shaking out. Uh, they certainly have changed uh, a bit. I think they're they're happy they have women. They're happy they're happy they have minority members. I mean, it's it is a different a different club in some ways than it was many years ago, but. Uh, uh, Young women who play in the Anwa are certainly uh, delighted to be there. Uh, if they, you know, make it to the the final round and get to to play Augusta National, um, drive, chip, and putt creates a lot of interest among the little kids, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's changed with the times, no doubt. Now there is a lottery. People might not know there's a lottery among the journalists that get to play after the Masters. Have you gotten a chance to play? Uh, I've never played it, so I hope someday someday <laughs> I, I get that chance. But, Me uh, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, 12 handicap. I'm not a great player, but it would be fun to play it, sure. It, but it's, uh, it's fun to be, have been there so many years and, and document the people who really do know how to play, how they play it. Right. Now, obviously a very special place, but we have a very special place here in Pinehurst, as you know, being born there, raised in Southern Pines. Over the years, how much have you seen Pinehurst evolve and change host its first U.S. Open or approaching a 25th anniversary of Payne Stewart's uh, magical win in 1999? Yeah, I mean, that's hard, hard to believe. It's, it's, uh, it'll be 25 years next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I first went to a, a pro tournament in this area in 1971 as a 12-year-old mm. at Country Club of North Carolina when they had the <clears> – it was called the U.S. Professional Match Play. So, you know, I, that's the first tournament I attended in person. Mm. And, uh, you know, of course, then two years later, the uh, uh, Piners uh, returned as a host to the tour, you know, from 73 through 82. Uh, 81, right out of college, I, uh, my dear late friend Michael Dan was director of the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Fame tournament, and he hired me to do PR mm. uh, for the Hall of Fame tournament uh, that, that fall. And, uh, you know, goodness knows, I, did, I didn't know much about doing PR, but I, I worked hard <laughs> and uh, fought my way through it. So we had, we had so much fun putting that on. But uh, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, in those years, people thought, hey, the, you know, the U.S. Open's never going to come here because it's, you know, they can't get the grass right or whatever. And then, you know, well, the Tour Championship returned in the early 90s. They were successful. Uh, again, those were held in the fall, but they were, that, that, that sort of set the, planted the seed for, for the U.S. Open to right. eventually be here. Where where were you on that? Were you there on the final round of the 99 Open? Yeah, I was writing for Golf World. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was there, right? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. What do you, so. What do you recall of that day? And and uh, well, I the, recall the weather. The weather yeah. from the weather was <laughs> so unusual. The weather was cool yeah. and misty. It wasn't a June hot no. sweltering day like it often can be, as you know, and a lot of the listeners would know. But uh, yeah, the weather was, and it kind of added to the the uh, the feel. Looking back, especially with what happened to Payne Stewart, tragically, only months later, being killed in the aviation uh, disaster, but. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a very, it was a cinematic type type day. I think. Talk about move it for, fast forward twenty five years, hosting the the twenty twenty four U S Open. Um, 
the resort has changed quite a bit. Um, the USGA coming here, building golf house Pinehurst. How much do you think that's going to change this destination? We've got U.S. Opens now every five or six years through 2047. World Golf Hall of Fame coming back to the destination. Uh, how much of a, a game changer, and I've heard that phrase used here, uh, is USGA's second headquarters here? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's a, a game changer. I, I don't, you know, it's Pinehurst is obviously already a, a well-known uh you know, bucket list type destination, you know, in, in the category of abandoned dunes and Cabot and, you know, these, these places that, you know, in this age of, you know, where people put so many pictures on social media documenting their, their buddies trips and all that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a thing for a while now, but, you know, I'm glad to see the hall of fame resurrected in in some form in the place where it began in, in, in the early, in the 1974, I was there as a, as a 15 year old in the crowd when president Ford and Ben Hogan and, all the others were on the dais. So, you know, it's fun to, personally to see the Hall of Fame come back. Yeah. Uh, you know, USGA being here, uh, you know, I, I, I have a feeling the, the employees that, that work there that get to live here are going <laughs> to enjoy it versus living right. you know, in, New Jer- in New Jersey. Although, you know, New Jersey, where the USGA is located, it's, it's, an, it's a nice part of the world too, very expensive place to live. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm glad it's happening. 35 employees, I believe, came down from New Jersey, so I think they'll have 50. Uh, they should be opening that the main office in uh, in December, something like that. So uh, we're looking forward to it, at least from a World Golf Hall of Fame, from a tourism standpoint, from from what we do, uh, it would be spectacular. Um, talk about, in recent years, you've gotten to work for NBC Sports as a researcher. Uh, we were talking before this podcast, I did some research at ESPN, but certainly not on the level you're doing. What's it like to work behind the scenes, in the truck, NBC Sports, uh, and, and contribute to that. And, and how do you work as a researcher for NBC Sports Golf? Well, it's been fun. Uh, Gil Caps, who's a, who's a researcher savant in my mind, he's been working mm-hmm. alongside Dan Hicks and Paul, uh, Johnny Miller and more recently Paul Asinger, you know, since the late 90s. So Gil is, is, uh, is, is unparalleled at his job. But Gil asked me to, to, to take on the, the freelance role of, uh, of being in the booth with them as, a, as an information person. And, you know, I, it's, been a, it's been a good ride. We're in the booth with Dan Hicks or Terry Gannon or whomever might be uh, doing the hosting. We're, we're right there in the okay. booth. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just try to add, you know, what uh, sometimes obviously it's just ordinary statistical matter, but, but I try to use my sort of institutional knowledge of having – you know, misspent my life, you know, <laughs> covering golf, uh, you know, to, to try to add good historical context when possible. And, you know, yeah, one thing I learned, of course, a magazine is a team effort, but TV really is a team effort. There are hundreds of people involved. Uh, it's a major undertaking. And uh, uh, it's, it's been, uh, that's, you know, I've done so many different things, in, you know, from, from photographer to picture editing to mm. writing to editing you know, uh, but I'd never worked in live TV until this gig. Yeah. So it's been, it's been opening to, uh, to get to do it and, uh, and a, and a pleasure. I know when I, when I worked at ESPN, people would say, Hey, what's Chris Berman like? What's Dan Patrick like? So what, what is Dan Hicks? I mean, Dan Hicks, Johnny Miller, Paul Azinger, whether, whether they like not only just to work with, but I mean, obviously as people, as I'm sure you hang out and have dinner and things like that, when you're, when you're at a certain tour event. Well, Dan Hicks, I would just describe him as a consummate pro. I mean, he's 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 so skilled, and uh, you know, he does a lot of Olympic swimming. He's done skiing. Yeah. He does. He's been the main voice of NBC Golf for many years now. He's he's just he's just outstanding. You know, he writes the short teases, uh, you know, that that begin some of our big shows, and those are those are really nicely written. And there's an art to that, even though they mm. might be short. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy those uh, hearing them. Uh, so it's just fun to kind of help Dan and. 
And, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, he can't, there's so much going on that he can't, you know, he can't know everything. So whatever I can give him that, that's intelligent, that, that can add to the moment, uh, just a little thing, like at the end of the, the Ryder Cup in Rome, uh, 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 just, just back in uh, late September, yeah. early October, you know, I, I just happened to, you know, as we were showing footage of the, of the, of the winning Europeans uh, celebrating, they, they, the, the players each had a, you know, had their country flag draped around their shoulders as they were, you know, posing for pictures or whatever. Yeah. And I just kind of slipped in a note saying, Hey, nine countries, but one team as usual, Europe, you know, and, and it was, you know, Dan phrased it in his words, but it kind of, it kind of jogged him to, to get, you know, wow, to, very to, cool. to give a nice line at the end of the show. That's cool. Yeah. So you're really not just providing statistics. It, it could be insight or some fact that he kind of fancies in, into or fashions into what, what his style is. Sure, sure, sure. Wow. I'm not. I'm not writing copy. You yeah. know, he's not reading it verbatim. He's he's just using what I give him as uh, as fodder for for good uh, good commentary uh, during the show. And and I would say I don't get to work with Mike Tarico very often, but occasionally at majors I'll get to a few shifts with Mike. And uh, same thing. Mike's a consummate pro, so skilled at doing the same kind of thing. Uh, How's it going to feel being able to do that? Uh, you know, because we haven't had a U.S. Open here since 2014. Uh, how much are you looking forward to to doing that for the NBC crew uh, here uh, in about six, seven months? Oh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it a lot. I think uh, you know, 2014 that was uh, that was the last year that I worked for Golf World before it, its print publication ceased. So it, it would be I was able to come back uh, uh, a year ago and and work the Women's Open at Pine Needles. And, oh, awesome! Uh, yeah, you know, our t- <laughs> what was funny there? Our our TV compound was was some distance away from the, our location on the of the booth on the 18th hole. So yeah. we were getting cart rides on the on the what was you know obviously a closed to traffic PD road. So a road that I <laughs> you know ridden on to get to my job at Russell's Fish House as a as a kid. You know, I was now on a golf cart. You know, it was pretty funny. Pretty funny. Things come full circle, just yeah. like living near the Weymouth Center and, and appearing there. Yeah. You do some local writing too for local publications. Talk about that and what you like to what you like to write about. Well, uh, you know, uh, Jim Dotson, when he was still the editor of Pine Straw, he he stepped aside, uh, and my good friend Jim Moriarty is the editor now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been writing a column for them since very late two, 2014. Uh, written over a hundred of them now. And most of the time they're not about golf. I've slipped yeah. a few. I've slipped a few in that are about golf, but most of them are about memories of growing up here or family or, or you know, different things. And uh, it, you know, it's been a treat to to do that because uh, it's it's not golf. Uh, I got to be honest. Sometimes, you know, I have other interests uh, as you know most of us do. And you know, golf. I love golf. I love writing about it. But it's been fun to. And I've also written some feature stories for them about. You know, a legendary coach in the area, and Coach John Williams. He was a you know a true legend in this area. I wrote a mm. long takeout on him. You know, I wrote a story about Andre the Giant, who lived his last <laughs> years in Ellerby, yeah, believe yeah, it or yeah. not. So it, it's fun to it's fun to do those pieces. Talk about what it was like growing up here, and and how you've seen when you come back home and you see things change and morph. And you know, we talk about well, as tourism, we we know this destination is going to grow whether we're here or not, because First Health is here, um, the resort and everything they're doing. What's it like to see this area change and the inevitable change that's going to come in the next five to ten years? Well, I think, I think some of it's bittersweet because yeah. uh, what, whatever the, the, the uh, location is, uh, uh, individuals have memories of how it was. And, and yeah. uh, you know, we, we generally, tra- we, in my case, we treasure those memories because this was a, a, such a, a, a special place, a sleepy place, 
uh, it was uh, I call it, I refer to it as a sophisticated Mayberry because yeah. you know it had the influx of like people that. from other parts of the country. It wasn't just you know nothing wrong with a, a sleepy southern town, but it had it had a little something extra. And I think uh, even though you know as a kid, a teenager, you might not have been able to articulate that difference, you it somehow rubbed off on you. And uh, you know I, I I cringe a little bit when I see all the trees being taken out for another development along Morganton Road or whatever. I, I I'm not happy about that. Yeah. But you know I've had discussions with some friends of mine that have lived here for many years that are I guess would I would describe as more pro pro growth than myself. And you know they say hey if if you either grow or you die. And and I understand that to a point. But I I do wish maybe some of the zoning was a little tighter. But Hey, that's that. Nobody cares what I think on that. <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate appreciate your opinion on that. Let's talk about a, a softer topic when it comes to an opinion. And I like to ask this question of folks that are either from here, visit here, or, or you know, what what are your favorite places when you go out and have a good time, go have a nice meal? Maybe two or three of your favorite restaurants in the area. Well, I will say the growth is the one one benefit of the growth <laughs> is there are some. More really, food. <laughs> really nice restaurant. I mean, I you know the one re- the one type of restaurant that I believe was very uh, late to the party here was a good Indian restaurant, and now we have one in Ajaya's downtown. And uh, yeah, Dan there. behind the camera there, man, that's his favorite place. He <laughs> I, loves it. I ate there the other night with uh, Jim and Audrey Moriarty. It was it's always great. <laughs> and I'm gonna I said, hey, can I can I make some reservations for June because you know I would yeah, love to right? get in there with a, a crew of my NBC uh, colleagues. Nice. Uh, so I don't you know it, 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 that you know there's some some obviously a much more uh, diverse array of food here than than there was. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't have a sub sandwich until I went to Chapel Hill and had blimpies at the freshman <laughs> orientation. I mean, it was, it, you know, it was a, it was a limited uh, palate, let's say. That's awesome. Here. So obviously a Tar Heel fan. So um, it, does the, uh, uh, the hatred for Duke run deep <laughs> or is it, or is it just a friendly competition? Well, you know, of course. Uh, but I always, I always tell people that, you know, in the seventies when I was so into sports and so into basketball and everything nc state was just as big a rival if not more so than yeah Duke. that's true i mean you know the nc state teams of norm sloan with david thompson and yeah. you know, national champions and even after that i mean uh you know i can still vividly remember w- watching one game in the dorm dorm tv room when dudley bradley stole the ball and won at the last second for us i mean that that is a vivid memory i mean but yeah the duke uh uh, I, I'm always happy when we beat Duke, no doubt about it. And Carmichael was always such a special place. I mean, Nadine Dome's nice and all, but I mean, I wish it would play like one or two games a year in Carmichael. It just that atmosphere. And I always remember as a kid growing up in Virginia Beach, I grew up a Virginia fan. My dad couldn't stand Carolina. He couldn't stand the four corners. He just couldn't stand it. And uh, But I remember seeing that scoreboard, that manual scoreboard yep. at Carmichael. And that, it's yep. just so much nostalgia. And, and with that, it's just such a great memory. No, I was I was lucky to cover a lot of games, uh, you know, in that in that uh, skinny press row that was above the student bleachers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would, I would yeah. either, if I, you know, cover for us, the Daily Tar Heel, or I'd, uh, you know, string for the AP or – or whatever, you know. Yeah, again, I got to, got to experience that. You know, a few, certainly as a freshman, a sophomore, I, I watched a number of games as a student. But yeah, it was fun to cover games there too. Well, we certainly enjoyed our, our time with you today. Appreciate you taking time out. Uh, enjoy your writers and residents' experience at the Weymouth Center, Katie Wyatt, and and everybody does such a fabulous job. And we look forward to uh, to hearing Dan Hicks and and saying, you know what? I bet Bill Fields told him 
uh, that stat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Well, Gil Capps will, will tell him a lot of stats, but but Dan's Dan's the best. He's terrific. Well, thanks so much. You've had you've had a wonderful life in the world of golf and uh, journalism. Uh, we appreciate all your contributions and, and everything you've done to to make it a better sport and a, and a better destination here in, in Southern Pines, Pinehurst, Aberdeen. Well, pleasure to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, if you know want, want to know more about tourism. Uh, go to our website, homeofgolf.com. If you want to watch our videos, including this podcast, go to our YouTube channel, which is Home of American Golf. And if you like this podcast, just search for Paradise in the Pines and download it, listen, and share it with your friends. Thanks, Bill. Good seeing you. And thanks for coming to Paradise in the Pines. Enjoy talking with you, Phil. We'll see you next time, everybody.